Hallelujah. We want to give a very warm and special welcome to our young people who have achieved so much under very difficult uh, circumstances. You are the lockdown guys who have achieved in spite of the lockdown. Can you give them a big hand, please? Oh, yeah. Well, as you are aware by us, you are a little late with this program because you are aware there's been a lot of uncertainty in terms of what things are going to be in the country, what we are going to receive as an announcement, what the family meeting will tell us, and all those things. But uh, in spite of that, we just want to give a warm welcome to you young people and to all our educators who are here as well, the, uh, the principals, the teachers who are here, the parents, Balenteng, our sponsors and our honored guests who are here, we want to thank you. Can you all give them a warm welcome, Baheso? Amen. We are also joined by 32 of our churches. So let me go through the list quickly. It's Brackpan, Cape Town, Caltonville, Edenville, Ennardale, Fine Town, Calfontaine, Katliso, Hutong South, Kronhevel, Lakeside, Lenasia South, Linden, Majazana, Midrand, Mitchell's Plain, Mokopane, Muletzane, Orange Farm, Palm Springs, Pulukwane, Port Elizabeth, Primrose, Protiatlan, Ranfontaine, Rockville is resuming the church today, Sosselberg, Vanderbilt Park, Ferienaching, Friedenberg, Forsteras, and Vetburki. Give them a big hand, everybody. Amen. And we welcome you all in the main auditorium, in the foyer, people in the youth hall. We welcome all of you who are joining us via social media, those of you who are on YouTube, those of you who are on Facebook, and those of you who are joining us on our church website. We are glad to have you all join us this morning. You know we have a series that we are doing, but we are going to sort of uh, take a bit of a detour in honor of our young people, and so we dedicate this sermon to you. If I was your age, I would say I want to send a shout out to you. But we dedicate this sermon to you from 2 Kings chapter 7. If you can open that with me, everybody, please. 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm reading from verse 3 to verse 8. It's a long passage, but we are going to read all of it. And remember the things that we read in this passage because I'll come back to some of those principles. I'm reading... The English Standard Version, it might read different to what you have there, but the meaning is the same. I'm reading from verse 3. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine in this is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, we will die also. So now let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians to hear the sound of chariots and horses the sound of a great army, so that they, they, they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled 
for their lives. And when these lepers came to the hedge of the camp, they went into a tent, ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. I think this story talks to us on so many levels. Because in this story, it's a story of people who, in accordance with what should have happened to them, these four lepers, we don't know their names, definitely they should have died. They had leprosy, which was an incurable disease those days, like right now when we talk about COVID. And because they had this incurable, contagious disease, they had to be kept outside of the city. We all know about being quarantined and isolating. I don't know if they wore masks or not. I don't know. But they were outside the city because they were not allowed to mingle with other people. So their situation is quite dire because outside the city, there's no shops. There's no way they could sustain their lives. They are dying from leprosy. Not are they only dying from leprosy. Outside the city, there's no food. There's starvation there. And not only that, outside the city, it's even worse. That in the way the cities were designed these days, they used to build walls around cities. And if you were not allowed into the city, you were kept outside the walls where the dangerous animals were. So death was coming to them from many levels, from famine, from leprosy, from wild animals that were roaming around. But even if they could enter the city, they were, their place had been taken over by the Syrians, who obviously were going to kill them. So this was quite a difficult time at this time, because we read from historical books that the nation of Israel at this time was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. The two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, were the ones who were preaching at this time, but not at the same period. They followed one another. The nation being in this condition, the southern kingdom, the people who led there were doing right. And as a result, the southern kingdom had the move of God. Things were working out well. But it was not so when it came to the northern kingdom, Israel. And in the northern kingdom, this just so happens, this is where the lepers were. Judah, the southern kingdom, even if it had all kinds of good things, the northern kingdom didn't have good things. And so even if things were not going well in the northern kingdom, we are told that King Ben-Hadad mobilized his Syrian army to attack the northern kingdom and to take over the capital of Samaria. We are told that the attack was so long. He, it was so prolonged and so protracted that not only was the place ravaged, unfortunately, famine came into the city. Things were so bad that on the streets they used to sell the head of a donkey and even sell the dung of doves. The head of a donkey would be sold for 80 shekels, which is 300 rands. Imagine Oraka's corpoca, 300 rands. 
And the dove's dung was sold for five shekels, which is about 18 rands. And it is in this context that we read about these men, these four lepers, whom the Bible says they were sitting outside the city gates. So these guys are not included in all this. They are outside. Society has kept them outside. They are kept outside because death is coming their way. They are kept outside because we know what's going to happen to them. They are going to die. Obviously, they probably had rumors about what's going on in Samaria. So even if they could gain access to the city, there was still a problem. There was famine and there was this army that they had to be faced with. They have an incurable disease. They are dying slowly. So to them, death was inevitable. But these four guys, in spite of death facing them, this is what they say in verse 3. Why sit we here until we die? They're asking themselves a question. Why must we die before death kills us? Why can't we try something that even if we die, at least we died trying something? Even if death comes our way, at least death found us doing something. Why submit ourselves to a mentality of being a victim? So they decided to venture. They said, let's go into the city. Look, if the guys kill us, we're dying anyhow. We're not losing anything. We're going to die. And it looks like that's exactly what God was waiting for. Because the minute they took the step to walk into the city, God on the other side made sure that the Syrians hear something different. They heard as though there was a mighty army coming their way on horseback. They thought that the Israelites had summoned the assistance of Egypt. They had summoned the assistance of the other armies. And so they set out to run for their lives because they thought a big army is coming. Well, they didn't know it was just four sick guys who were coming. But God intervened in their lives because of their attitude. Because these guys, they decided against all odds I'm going to try something. And that's the title of my message. Against all odds. When you and I are faced with difficulty in our lives, it's up to us what attitude are we going to adopt. I love the attitude of these guys because they asked themselves a question. They said, why are we sitting here? Why must we behave as victims and not try something? Why can't we take charge of our lives? But I also like the fact that they also realized that there's a problem. They said if you go into the city, they're going to kill us. If we stay here, famine is going to kill us. In other words, people who have this attitude are not acting like there's no problem. They are saying there is a problem. However, I'm going to face the problem. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to face the problem. Tell your other neighbor, I'm going to face a problem. And the Bible tells us they stepped into the city. In short, they stepped into unfamiliar territory. They said, let us go to the camp. If they spare us, we leave. If they kill us, we die. They stepped out to face the odds. And it's interesting, only then did God move. There are so many people who are waiting for God to intervene. In the meantime, God is waiting for them to take the step. God is waiting for them to take the initiative and say, I'm going to do something with my life. 
Because when you read the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, you will note that of all the cases where Jesus healed people, it's quite interesting that 99.9% of the people who were healed under the ministry of Christ, Jesus didn't go to them to heal them. They initiated the action. They went to him and said, Lord, I want to be healed. They went to him and they asked him a question. Tell your neighbor, God is asking and waiting for you to move. You know, he's waiting for you to move. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, I was preaching this and, and I was making this statement and I was preaching in the youth hall there. And there was a young guy who was sitting there and I said, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's this song. It's not, a, it's not a Christian song. But I, I made a song out of it, you know. You know, I said, you know, she says, when you move, God moves. You know, when you move, you move. Said, you know, I can't cast it anymore. But I was telling them, when you move, God moves. When you move, God moves. Many people are waiting for God to move. But God is waiting for you to move. Can I hear an amen? These men decided to step into what they're not used to. They decided to try something. So many people are held back in trying what they've never tried before. So many people are chained to what they are used to, what they are familiar with, that they're not going to try something they've never tried before. And what I like about these guys is they refuse to be immobilized by fear. Maybe they knew that scripture in 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of a sound mind. Let me share with you four keys that I find in this story. Four keys that will help us to face all odds that come against us. Number one, these men, these four lepers, refuse to have a negative spirit about themselves. A person who will make it through the challenges of life is one who will not allow negative emotions to imprison them. Negative emotions, including anxiety, fear, doubt, guilt, depression, discouragement, just to name a few. Now, we must be honest. All of us at one time or another, we do experience negative emotions. The issue is not about experiencing them. The issue is how much do you allow them to control you? All of us experience fear at a point. All of us have doubted at a point. But the question is, are you going to allow fear to create a prison for you? You know, yesterday we had a, from Friday we had a leadership session. How many of you were at the leadership session? Let me see your hands. How many of you enjoyed the session? Eh? Look at your neighbor who didn't raise their hands. Not our first time visitors. Look at your neighbor who didn't raise their hands and say, who, eh? Eh, where were you? The session that was done by Dr. Mnisi, it was very enlightening. Hey! And just to give you the background, for those of you who may not know what we're referring to, he was telling us about uh, the milestones of a child, you know, how a child grows, that when a child is born, the only skill they have, if we can call it a skill, is to know how to suck, you know, when they're breastfeeding. That's the only thing that children know how to do. But from day one until they are 12 months old, which is one year old, they learn so many things in a very short space of time. They learn how to sit, to crawl, they learn how to walk, you know, they learn how to balance themselves. In, in just 12 months, these kids here, 
Yeah, and then he says now from, from, from one year to, to 12 years, they even go further, or to three years. I mean, they now learn how to, to talk and to identify colors, to construct sentences. It might not be all clear, marbazam, you know, bazam, abon. Mama, Papa, you know, they, they know all that. And then, and then from three years to 12 years, they learn, they even go to school, they learn math. They learn science and they learn, they, when they turn 14, they even feel they know more than you know as a parent. I mean, they're learning fast. And then, then, then they go to, from then to 24 years, when they go to university, you know, they get their degrees and all of that. And then he says, unfortunately, in that age, that's where problems start. Because now we become self-conscious. That's when we realize that there are people who have other things we don't have. The other one is prettier than me, more intelligent than me, more capable than me. And that's when we start limiting ourselves. And when people need to try something, they say, no, but I can't. I'm not gifted like that one. I can't because I don't have this. Whereas when you are a child, nobody could tell you you can't climb up the stairs. When a child comes and tries to climb up the stairs, it is you, the adult, who say, hey, utawa. And the child listens to you and thinks, well, eriki mutlukhele ona. Because they don't know what they're talking about. And when you are looking that way, the child comes back and climbs again. They may fall, but even if they fall, they're going to cry. And after they've cried, they're going to try again. Because something in their mind, there's something about the potential in them that tells them they can go far. But as we grow, the disappointment of life, the challenges of life, they take that capacity from us. It imprisons us and fear comes our way. Have you realized that children are not afraid of things? They climb up on a building, they try to jump off. And I'm not saying you should allow them, but I mean, they're not afraid of heights. I know somebody who was telling us, they live in KZN, you know, in an area that is full of snakes. And they were telling us how their toddler would just pick up snakes and bring them, Mama! Mama! <laughs> and I say, hey, Wena, hey, hey! Because you see, the, the, the child doesn't, is not afraid of a snake. You know, I was telling them in the first service, we, we went somewhere, Mapi Shop, and, uh, and uh, we were on holiday, and uh, we were not far from a place where they have uh, all these uh, snakes and everything. So someone came to do a, a sort of, to educate us about the snakes, you know? you know? You know, in the first service, it was as quiet as you are. When you say snake... <laughs> The people, some of you are almost running out of here. And, and you know, they said several things about snakes I didn't know. One of them was that the snakes will not eat you as a human being. You are not on their diet list. They're, they're, they're not out hunting for you. They, 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 they want mice and frogs, but you are not on their list. Because we have a scent that's repulsive to snakes. So you're not on their diet list. Yamara, why do they bite? Why do they bite then? They only attack when they feel threatened. A snake will not come from there and come for you. This is just You see, some of you don't believe me. Tell your neighbor, oh, yeah, no, you don't believe. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. Second thing we learned was that some of the snakes, you know, they, they differ in personality like people... And there was this big python they brought, this yellow one, you know, these big ones. 
and they had, they had fed it that morning, and they said, this python is a lazy eater. I mean, it's, it only kills when it's hungry, and it has to be very hungry. But if its belly is full, it doesn't care. So they brought it. And, and, I, and I took it and I put it on, around my neck and I thought, bad idea. Because <laughs> it turned and looked at me. Anyhow, I, 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 I'm still alive. And I took a picture and I thought, yo, that's a wrong picture. If people can see it, but that's why I just so, so I took a picture of it. And then not long ago, we were away in the shop somewhere with some people, and we were at this place, and there was a snake that was there in the veranda. We didn't see it. Yeah, we'd been eating there, dining there. There was a snake. It was a spitting cobra. Yeah, it was right there, you know, in the, in the roof there. It was right there, in the, it was a thatch roof, you know, it was up there in the rafters, looking at us. Hello, Bishop. <laughs> didn't bite us, didn't attack us until we got the rangers to come and take it, and so on. But you see, we, we become afraid because we, we, we create our own reality. We believe our own lies. Did you know there are more people who die from accidents than who die from snake bites? There's a lot more people who are killed by cars. But when you see a car coming, you don't run and say, hey! But let's just see a snake coming. And see what, look at your name and say, why are you quiet? There's no snake here, don't worry. But fear is one of the negative emotions that holds people captive. And as we grow up as children, we're not even afraid. We're not afraid of a dog. We're not afraid of a spider. We're not afraid of a snake until some adult says, ho, ho. So fear, for the most part, is a learned behavior. Unfortunately, it imprisons so many people. But these lepers, they said, even if we face the possibility of dying, we're not going to sit here till we die. But we're going to do something. We also face negative emotions like anxiety and worry. So many people allow worry to paralyze them. The problem is worry creates for us a virtual world. A study was made on worry and anxiety to find out how much of the things that we worry about finally happen. And it's been found out that only, only 2% of what we worry about happens. But 98% of what we worry about never happens. And yet, worry and anxiety brings all kinds of diseases to us. And Jesus, when he preached, warned against worry. In the book of Luke, he said, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them. The King James says, because of suffering. Because, <laughs> because of the cares of this world. And then he says, also because of drunkenness. So Jesus puts a, a, a drunkard or somebody who can't control themselves when it comes to alcohol, he puts them side by side with an anxious person, a warrior. 
So we church people, we will look at the people who drink and say, ah, bonabaita. But we will come to church and sit right in church with worry and anxiety when Jesus says this guy is the same as the other one. To God, there's no difference between a drunkard and, and a warrior and someone who has anxiety. And Jesus says, man's heart will fail. The body is saying, he says, people are going to have heart conditions. People are going to have psychosomatic diseases because of anxiety and worry. Worry is a bad habit. It's a terrible habit that kills so many people because it locks you in a world by yourself. And for the most part, what we worry about never happens. And yet, the worry didn't leave us alone. It damages us. It causes us to have sleepless nights. It affects us in our health. And it's a negative emotion that affects us. These lepers, they decided, no, let's take action. Instead of sitting here and worrying, there are many people who will sit and worry and not do anything. And think that by worrying, Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add one strand of hair to his head? Runaba Chiskopo, I have to worry a lot to add a lot here, you know. But he says, no, but you, you, you can't do that. In essence, Jesus is saying, who is going to change their lives by worrying? Because what worry does is to show you the negative side of life. What worry does is to show you what you can't do. Worry doesn't show you what you can do. It shows you what you can't do. These lepers, they didn't allow themselves to be imprisoned by worry. They did something. Can I have an amen? amen. Number two. To challenge the odds, we must have the ability to stick on and to be tenacious. We must persevere. Hebrews 10, 36 says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Oftentimes, people think success must be handed to them on a platter. And often people don't understand that if you speak to anybody who has succeeded in any area, they will tell you how they had to work hard for it. Meet a couple that has been married for 80 years. And you know, you come there romantically asking them, how did you guys do it? And the lady says, Oma kha kha o. <laughs> And the guy says, Wa pa pa o. <laughs> Mara, if you are saying this about each other, how did you cope? They said, well, we learned to forgive, to stick it out. That's why we are here. Meet any business person who has succeeded in business the right way, by the way. And they can tell you story after story of moments when things were difficult. Sometimes they lost their investments and things didn't work. Ask people who have achieved a lot in education. They'll tell you, I failed so many times. But even if I failed, I enrolled again. There is no path to greatness. That's an easy path. No path to greatness. That's an easy path. And anybody who has this against all odds mentality understand they have to persevere. Number three, to challenge the against all odds, to have the against all odds mentality, we need to discipline ourselves to have a disciplined mind that doesn't allow negative thoughts to imprison it. 
Disciplining our minds means we must intentionally be selective on what our minds dwells on. Note, we're not saying we must deny reality. The lepers didn't say there's no problem. That's not what they said. We're acknowledging the problem, but we're not going to allow negative thinking. So many people defeat themselves even before they try. And life being what it is, there are many people out there who believe their calling is to tell you that you are not able to do it. There's always somebody in the neighborhood. There's always some uncle somewhere or some aunt somewhere who's ready to tell you you can't make it. There's a man that I'm listening to. He's teaching this Rick Renner. Rick Renner is such an incredible teacher. He, 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 he has studied Greek and Hebrew, but he's much more conversant with Greek words, and he's just an, an incredible Bible scholar and a Bible expositor. You know, he was told in primary school by his teacher that he will never amount to anything. And, and he found out that that teacher who told him that was the teacher who had taught his father. Yeah. So his father was a naughty boy. I don't think he had done something that offended the teacher. So the teacher didn't take kindly to that. So when he met the son, she decided from day one, I'm going to tell him it's not going to amount to anything. And the same young man who, you know, when they do these assessments, you know, these assessments, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but some of these assessments can be so troublesome because the assessment comes and they tell you, you'll never fit here. And they told him, they said, you'll never ever be an academic you might as well find something with your hands and Why are not why are you not saying amen to that? Is that what they told you as well? But now Rick Renner tells the story how he struggled. But one day he decided, you know what, I'm gonna try this. He failed a couple of times. But you know the nice thing about failing is even if you fail in John Maxwell's words. You fail forward. You learn something from failing. And in case you didn't know, failure is not a problem with God. It's not a sin to fail. In fact, God loves people who fail. God is the God who gives people a second chance. If God didn't love failures, we wouldn't be here today. None of us would be preachers. None of us would be running churches. None of us would be having families. If God didn't use failures, we wouldn't be reading about Moses. We wouldn't be reading about Abraham. We wouldn't be reading about Paul. We wouldn't be reading about Peter. We wouldn't be reading about any of those people. We wouldn't be reading about the woman of Samaria. There is something about failure that God doesn't look at you as a person who has failed and he calls you a failure. He says failure is an event. It is not a destiny. Failure is not your character. It was has happened to you. And so you learn, even if I fail, I'm failed forward. Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen? So discipline your mind to intentionally think what God says about you. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We know how our, our brain controls every function of our body. Before any function, 
could be undertaken by parts of your body. It's the brain that gives the instruction. But it is the same part of your body that you've got to put in what God says about you. Believe it. Even before it happens, believe it. Say it to you. Don't wait for others to affirm you. Say it to you. Yesterday, Dr. Monique Andala, oh, I love the way she was presenting in our pastor session. She says, you know, most people are saying nobody loves me. And it might be true. But who said you can't love you? Hey! You know, she's a, what do you, how did she call herself? She says, she's, I'm a mental health specialist. She says, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a mental health specialist. And she says, in her consulting room, she has a big mirror there. You know, people come to you and they tell her all the stories and so on. Oh, everybody hates me. Everybody, everybody's nasty to me. Everybody, even, even on, and they left me. I had a relationship. This is the 10th relationship. The 11th one, I'm not sure, is hanging by the thread. And, and then he says, she says, then I ask them a question. Who's the most important person to you? Then they go, my mother, my father, my boyfriend, my husband, my wife, and my children and everything. She says, then when they are done, she says, and how, what about you? What about you? In the words of Jesus, two commandments. Eh? 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 You love the Lord your God, but you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Eh? In other words, to the extent that you love yourself is to the same extent that you have the capacity to love somebody else. So she says, what I do is that after they've told me about everybody, everybody who's first in their life, I say, what about you? And they get stunned. And she says, why, why don't you love you? And she says, come over here, just stand there. And they stand in front of the mirror and says, let me introduce you to you. <laughs> let, let, let me introduce you to you. You see that person? Start loving them. She even went to an extent to tell us that she hugs herself. She says, people say, nobody hugs me. She says, what's wrong in hugging you? And I was going like this. I said, yeah. But most people, to a large extent, think negative thoughts. And we relegate our destiny to the goodwill of others. And we allow others to become prophets over our lives. We allow the words that an uncle spoke 10 years ago to control me today even when the guy is six feet down. I'm still scarred by what he said. He told me my nose is too big. So I can't call myself beautiful because I know I'm full. So I can't call myself beautiful and you are afraid of who you are. God says, watch how you think. These lepers, had they looked at themselves and they said, we are lepers, what can we do? We are just lepers, we don't have the strength, we're dying just a few days from now, there's no way. What if we go there and this happens? That's not what they did. They say, even if they kill us, we're going there. We're going to do something. We're not going to sit here until we die. That should be what you say to yourself. I'm not going to sit here and die. And in conclusion, 
to challenge the odds, we need to know that God is with us. God is with you. Some of you don't believe it. I said, God is with you. Let, let, let me try you again. I said, God is with you. All of us. God is with us. God didn't bring you into the world to abandon you. No, I didn't say you won't go through problems. I didn't say people will not mistreat you. That's not what I said. I didn't say your life will be easy. That's not what I said. I said, even in the midst of all that, God is still with you. These lepers may have been quarantined. They may have been isolated. Society might have forgotten about them. They may have been stigmatized. They may have been left there to die by themselves. But Oksalayo, God was with them. And God was waiting for them to come to that awareness and to take a step and not allow themselves to be held back by the circumstances. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 in the Message Bible. He says, as it is, there's not much chance of that. You know for yourself that we are not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we are not demoralized. We are not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. That you and I are still here with all the challenges that we've been through and the periods of heartbreak, times of confusion, times of despair, but you are still here. God is with you. You, you may not feel him. You may feel like you are abandoned. You may feel like he doesn't understand what you are going through. But God is with you. You know, when Paul talks about this, he talks about how he had this situation. A messenger of the devil who was buffeting him. He said, I went to God and three times I prayed and I said, God, remove this from me. And instead of God answering, God left him and he prayed and prayed. On the third time, God said, Bona, I'm not going to remove this from you. I'm not going to remove the valley. I'm not going to take away the mountain. What I'm going to do, I'm going to let you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you're going to come on the other side. What I'm going to do, I'm going to let you climb the mountain and come on the other side. And God's response was this, my grace is sufficient for you. Let me decode it for you. God is saying, listen, there is no situation that I will allow to come your way and I don't give you the capacity to cope with it. Remember, your fight might be bigger than the other person's fight, but God has given you the capacity to be able to stand against the problem. Can I hear an amen in the house? My grace is sufficient for you. 
And God's grace is sufficient for you. No matter who you are. No matter what people say about you. No matter what society says about you. You've got to say to yourself, I'm not going to sit here until I die. I'm not going to abandon my life to lack and coincidence. I'm not going to let other people be the ones who determine the destiny for my life. God is with me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? God is with you. I said, God is with you. 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 And against all odds, God is going to see you through. God is going to see you through. God is going to see you through. Because His grace is sufficient for you. You know what God is waiting for? He's waiting for that attitude of against all odds. To ask the question, why live my life in this condition? Why sit here and allow my life to deteriorate? I'm going to get up and do something. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Why don't you give the Lord a big hand of praise for his word? Hallelujah. Shall we stand on our feet, please, everybody? Praise the Lord. Let's raise our hands to the Lord as we pray together. Lord, we thank you that against all odds, you give us the challenge to arise like these four lepers who stood up these four lepers why sit we here till we die oh God we bless your name we honor you, God. Why don't you lift up your voice and just pray and thank him for his word. Wow, oh, Jesus. Oh, Bless your name, bless your name, bless your name. Bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Rabba debre sekuro de balabari debit. Sharabago sekuro debre Oh God. Jesus.